Amen. Good morning. We finally arrived at the end of Romans. We're done after today. And uh, it's been a long journey. I, 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 don't, I think I came in at Romans 8. And so I've been here almost half the time. And uh, Romans 16 is... Uh, it's, it's not just superfluous. It's not just extra stuff. Every single word in the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I needed to remind myself of that because I'm preaching here soon in downtown and Cody's out of town and he gave me the, the one passage where he's just thanking everyone. And I was like, thanks a lot. <laughs> and of course I didn't say anything else because I know that it's all divinely inspired and it's all profitable for our souls. So even when he's seemingly just thinking people, God wrote that for a reason. And so uh, I, will, I will never complain uh, about having to preach any, any section, any word of, 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 of the Bible. If you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be reading out of Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 27. And the Holy Spirit, through Paul, says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centre that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, Aquila, I'm from Kentucky, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord Tryphina and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Ansicritus, Philegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. This is like a minefield. <laughs> Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and her sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever more through Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray, church. Lord, teach us the importance of reading your word. Show us our weakness. Show us how prone we are to wander. Keep us coming back to the well so that we may have living water. Lord, this morning I pray that you show us the importance of sound doctrine. Show us what it means to be innocent of evil. And all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. The 16th chapter of Romans is largely divided into two parts. I'm sorry if I butchered the names. I... The two parts in chapter 16 are followed by one small part, but it's mainly in the first half, Paul takes time to salute those brothers and sisters in Christ who've supported his ministry in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then in the second half, Paul warns against those who oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then at the end, Paul gives glory to God, dedicating his letter to the King of Kings. We're going to spend most of our time this morning looking at the second part, so I want to read verses 17 through 20 again before we start digging into the text. So these four verses. Verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So in verses 17 through 20, Paul says that in order to maintain unity, the Roman church must do two things. They must watch out for those who create obstacles to sound doctrine, and they must be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. That tells me the number one division, the number one way that division and stumbling blocks infiltrate a church is not by scheduling conflicts, it's not by lack of facilities, it's not by differing personalities, it's not even by bad worship music. The number one way a church suffers division is by neglecting sound doctrine. In verse 17, Paul says, Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. That means doctrine isn't just for intellectuals. Doctrine matters for every single Christian who claims that Holy Scripture is the truth. 
For Paul, it is absolutely critical for the flourishing of the church. Our commitment to be a healthy church begins with our commitment to right teaching. When I was in youth ministry, I used to hear parents when their kids would graduate and they'd go to college and then I'd, you know, I'd keep up with them and say, hey, how are they doing at the big university, you know. And I would get this every once in a while. The, the parent would say that they had stopped attending the church or some church and they'd say, they'd say this. Tell, tell me if you've ever heard this one. Well, he's going to a different church now, but I'm just glad he's going to a church. Have you ever heard that one? As a parent, I kind of understand what they're saying. You know, don't want to fault them too much. And I kind of know what they mean because they're, they just want what's best for their child. I mean, it's better than not going to any church. I mean, I understand that. But that's not Paul's attitude. Paul doesn't say, watch out for those who don't have fall festivals. Or watch out for those who don't have a gymnasium. Or watch out for those who don't have a good high school ministry. What he says is, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. Which means that church unity begins with proper knowledge of God. One mind. That means in whatever field, on whatever mountain, in whatever country, in whatever building, however many people, if a group of saints gather together around the Scriptures and commit themselves to rightly understanding who God is and what He's revealed to His people, that church is pleasing to God. That's why at Haynes Creek the word doctrine will never become a bad word. It's our source. It, it, the Word is our source. Paul's very first words to Timothy in his first epistle are this, verses 3-4. through four, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. That's like his first thing he tells Timothy. Why? Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul knows that when a church doesn't commit to understanding Scripture, our minds will wander and our foolish hearts will invent things about God. And it's so easy to slip. I mean, here's a couple easy ones. I came up with these. Hey, See if you've ever heard these, okay? Hey, God never gives you more than you can handle. Where is that in the Bible? God gives me more than I can handle all the time. It's by His grace. His power is made perfect in what? Our weakness. His grace is sufficient for who? Our. I mean, it's, it's, here's another one. What goes around comes around. I've never seen that in the Bible. That's called karma which is actually in the Hindu religion. Here's another one. Hey, if it's meant to be, it'll be. You ever heard that one? That's called fate. That's not in the Bible. Here's another one. I, and, and I kind of, I'm, this one I've just heard a lot with shootings and, and massacres. People go, yeah, some people out there are just evil. And I get what they're saying. We're all evil apart from the grace of God. Do you see how common little common sense isms kind of just deviate from what God's saying? We have to come back to the Scriptures. Don't be caught saying things that aren't true. 
I mean, don't be the guy that like corrects somebody at Kroger, you know. But 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 we need to we need to tighten what we say about God because what we say to other people reflects what we believe about the God we serve. Biblical doctrine corrects our man-made wisdom. This also tells me, and by the way, I've used the God never used God never gives you more than you can handle. I'm not saying bad people say that, by the way, because I've used that. My point is, let's recalibrate what we say. Another thing we need to recalibrate is our, is our definition of a divided church. What does a divided church look like? For just a second, in your mind, think about what's a divided church look like? Because I'll be honest, when I think of the word division in a church today, I'm tempted to think about a church where all the old deacons you know, control everything and they don't want the young people doing anything or the pastor doesn't care, he's never around, or actually a church that splits. And that's, that's division. But according to Paul, you can actually be a big church, you can actually be a wealthy church, you can actually be a quote-unquote stable church and still be divided. How? Well, if a church doesn't dig deep into the Scriptures, the hardest parts of Scripture, they risk the very souls of their people going astray and believing whatever they want to believe. A Christian can claim to have faith, but their faith can be in a God they've concocted in their head. <coughs> the next question is this. What exactly should a church believe? I mean, okay, I, I get that, Avi, about doctrine. But what kind of doctrine are you talking about? Well, Paul says, the doctrine that you have been taught. Which means that in chapter 16, he wants them to remember everything they've been taught, chapters 1 through 15. Romans 1, Paul says that we're all without excuse because even though God is plain to us in nature, we've suppressed the truth and we've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and that God's wrath is revealed against every single living human being. Romans 2, Paul says that we shouldn't presume upon the riches of God's kindness like He's just going to give us the benefit of the doubt. Paul says in Romans 2 that we actually, our consciences bear witness that we're guilty and condemned under God's law. Romans 3 says we all have sinned, all have fallen short. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Romans 4 is where the good news happens. We're justified by faith, by the grace in Christ Jesus. Romans 5 says that we now have peace with God through the blood of Christ, through the second Adam who was obedient unlike the first. Romans 6 says we were formerly dead. Now we're made alive in Christ through the Spirit. Romans 7 says now because of the Spirit, we've been released to the law. We can't trust our flesh. Romans 8 says that we're led by the Spirit. We're now heirs of God, heirs with Christ that we've been adopted. Romans 9 says that God saved you not because you chose Him, but because in His sovereignty He chose you. Romans 10 says we got to evangelize or else that gospel is not going to get out to save people. Romans 11 says God has a plan for both Jews and Gentiles. He hasn't given up on Jews. Romans 12 says we'd be living sacrifices. God 13, Romans 13 says pay your dang taxes. Romans 14 says you have freedom and you also have freedom to lay down your freedoms. For the sake of others. We are to, Romans 15 says we're to live like Christ who served His enemies. And Romans 16 says remember all that. In verse 17. No, I don't want to attempt to call y'all like, um, so I'm supposed to like remember Romans. Ben Malloy just memorized half of the first chapter of Romans. Ben, go. I'm kidding. <laughs> He did. He did it Friday, didn't you, Ben? Spit it off right there in front of me, bread and butter. Memorize the first half of Romans 1. 
before I could like finish like, two cups of coffee, which is quickly. I just think that's so, the, you know, he says, you know, we're going to find later in the passage, he's going to say, be wise as to what is good. What's better than being wise according to the Scriptures? In verse 17, Paul uses the Greek word skopen, which means to mark out. So we are to, quote-unquote, mark out these false teachers. What does that mean? Well, I actually prefer the NASV. Who owns NASV in here? I knew Ken did. NASV is actually a really good version. It translates, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. Now, church, please hear me. I don't think it's particularly kind to malign Joel Osteen personally. But as your pastor, I have no problem telling you, please keep your eye and avoid his false teaching, please. Have nothing to do with him. He's a wolf. He never mentions the cross in any of his sermons. He has no need to mention the blood of the Lamb. He peddles the prosperity gospel and he tricks the simple-minded into believing it. Why does he do that? Well, verse 18 says it. Verse 18, Paul says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. I think some of, I think I would go so far as to say that some of the best, I think some of the worst teachers the church has ever had, some of the best wolves we've ever had are the best talkers. Prosperity gospel is simply taking the fleshly indulgences and desires of your sinful appetite and using Jesus to give it to you. Paul says, Eklinete apo, which means stay away from these people. Stay away from them. Don't watch them. If you value your soul and if you value God's word, don't associate yourselves with them. They're smooth. They're flattering. They even have Bibles in their hands. And they will deceive the hearts of the naive and their idolaters peddling idolatry in the name of Christ. The world would say that, Avi, you're being kind of judgmental when you warn the sheep to stay away from the wolf. The world would say that. You're just being a bigot. we got to love. Paul would say, you're being negligent and you're leading people astray when you don't. As a pastoral note, real quick before we move on, if you're reading someone or you're listening to someone, I'm not going to go down a whole roll of false teachers here this morning. That's, there's, just, there's a lot of them. I could. I wanted to include a couple other names, but I just... Joel Osteen's just easy. Stay away from him, please. But if you have questions, come to me. Come to Lee. Come to Stephen. Come to us. If you, if you really like somebody, you know, um, you know then there's, there's, there's teachers who are just false teachers. There's teachers who are light teachers. Who are just, they're, not, they're not heretics. You know, um, you know, somebody the other day came to me and asked me about Joyce Meyer. I, I've never, I've never heard her say heresy. I, I think you could do a lot. You could go deeper than Joyce Meyer. She's not a heretic. Joel Osteen's a heretic. The point is not to go after people from behind the pulpit. The point is, 
whoever you're listening to, you're feeding your soul with what they're saying. And it matters. If the Bible matters, biblical doctrine matters. Just because someone has a Bible in their hand doesn't mean that they're speaking truth. And, and we're here for you. Anytime there's a book out there, we, we're saying as a church, whoever that author is, read them. But if you have somebody come to us, I mean, we're not final authority, but we, we have, I have a ton of people you could read or listen to. But I think what we have to understand and what Paul also wants us to understand is we have to be right teaching. We have to, we have to be committed to right teaching to be a God-honoring church. But it is possible to be a church that adheres to right teaching and still not be unified. According to Paul, the second way we achieve real unity in the church is this, verse 19. For your obedience is known to all. So, the Roman church is known to Paul and to others. Paul says, So that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. I laughed preparing this message this morning because uh, did anybody ever sing the Romans 16, 19 song when you were little? Come on. No? I, I asked Kelly and she looked at me like I was stupid. Romans 16, it'd be excellent at what is good. You never seen it? Yeah? You know what I'm talking about? And then you get to jump, you're like, God. Okay, never mind. Apparently it stopped at Kentucky and didn't come down. One of the first things, you know, that's, this is what Paul says. Be wise as to what is good. Be innocent as to what is evil. I just and she knows I'm going to say it. One of the first things that attracted me to Kelly was her innocence. Right off the bat, that just that was attractive to me. She was righteous. She was innocent. I could tell she wasn't like, you know, she didn't. It was It had nothing to do with baggage or anything. Everybody does. It's just the way she thought was pure. That was really attractive to me. I remember I would make inappropriate, yes, I, I made inappropriate jokes. I would make inappropriate jokes to Kelly when we were, you know, dating. I mean, not terrible, but, you know. And she'd go, she constantly, all, every single time, she'd go, I don't get it. <laughs> I love that she didn't get it. They don't, they don't, they weren't terrible. But even then, you know, I'd, I'd have a sense of humor and Kelly just wouldn't get the jokes. And, that, and I, sometimes they frustrate me, and then other times I'd be like, you know, I'm glad I have an innocent Soon to be wife. It never frustrated me because Kelly was wise as to what was good and she was innocent as to what was evil. That's God's will for your life. I'm going to bring up Logan Norman real quick. Logan is different. I don't know about Logan. I've never told him an inappropriate joke. Maybe you might get him, but I don't make inappropriate jokes anymore. <laughs> But Logan is really intelligent. He plays the guitar. He's a dad. He has a great job. But I'll talk to Logan about anything. But sometimes I'll, I'll bring up like current events or politics with Logan, and Logan will go, man, I got no idea. I don't, I don't keep up with that stuff. And I'm kind of glad he doesn't, frankly. I doubt that when Logan meets his maker, Lord is going to be is going to hold that against him. What do you mean you didn't? Did you, you didn't vote? Get back down there. No. <laughs> I think Logan is wise as to what is good and innocent of evil. You want to be around those kinds of people. 
In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, after Adam ate of the fruit, it says that God calls for the man. Where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And do you remember what God says? Who told you you were naked? His innocence was gone. He had stained himself with guilt and shame. The world says that innocence is fickle and it's naive. God says innocence is commendable, it's righteous, and that those who do not believe right teaching are naive. I hear this one a lot. Hey, I don't want my kids growing up in a bubble. I want them to know how the world works. You ever heard that one? As an adult, as someone who's made mistakes, and as a father, I know what they mean. I think. They want to protect their child from disappointment and pain, is what they want. This is what they're saying. But we better watch out the way we say things like that. Because the world may say that an innocent child is embarrassing or foolish and naive, but Christ says that a child can grow up their entire life never having drank an ounce of alcohol, never having smoked a cigarette, never having slept with a girl, never having explored the world, never having watched an R-rated movie, and when they die, God will say, Well done, O good and faithful servant. What is, some people say, Well, I, don't know how, I want them to know how the real world works. That's not what are we communicating to our children? That that's the real world? Or that this is the real world? Be wise as to what is good. Be innocent as to what is evil. I have made many mistakes in my life. Many mistakes. I put a couple of them in, in, in some books. I was telling Bob, by the way, my boy Willie graduated from college this weekend, by the way. Let's give him a hand. With, with a license in pastoral counseling, and I was, I was hanging out with Bob right before. I told Bob that I, was, I, lost, my, I lost my full-ride scholarship to UK my freshman year just doing stupid stuff. I think Bob said something like, I didn't know that before we hired you or something like that. <laughs> and... Uh, I mean, you just talk about going after the world. I mean, then I, then I lived in Africa for five months. Then I lived in East Asia for six months. I lived in South America for two months, serving, just, you know, giving God my time and my life. I think I was also kind of trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I've seen many things, and those things have no doubt shaped who I am and helped me to be a better pastor. And I know I'm not the only one with a story like that. But don't miss this truth, church. It's not our experiences and our stories and our worldly knowledge that makes us a strong church. It's the Word of God changing hearts through the Spirit of God that makes us a strong church. I'm, I, today, I wish I was more innocent of evil. Honest to goodness. Today, in a strange providential way, I thank God for the road that I've walked. And I know that a lot of you do too. But I don't hang my hat on that. And I certainly don't brag about my sin because I want to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is, what is evil. Because here's the good news. Verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.
After God sin, after Adam sins against God in the garden, God curses him. And God also curses Satan. And this is what he says to Satan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. At the cross, Jesus wasn't crushed. He was bruised. That's because we know He was raised. And at the cross, Satan was also bruised, but not crushed. His power was severely diminished with the new covenant and the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, Paul, Paul is promising that there will be a day when false teachers and divisive people will be held accountable and they will be judged on that day when Satan is finally crushed. And we can't miss this. I think Paul wants us to make a direct connection between false teaching and the work of Satan. Notice how in verse 18 Paul uses the word deceive to describe false teachers. And notice right after talking about false teaching, he talks about Satan, the deceiver. False teaching isn't just something to be dismissed. It's something to be rooted out because it is nothing less than the work of the devil. And Satan would desire nothing more than our church to grow numerically while being dead spiritually from a neglect of the Scriptures. We declare war on the principalities and the kingdom of Satan by declaring the entire truth of God's Word and staking our lives on it. A church that treats doctrine like it's a bad word has given a foothold to Satan. But for those who have not yielded to the Word, to the world, to pragmatic worldly thinking, we have the hope that we seek after Him in the Scriptures first. When we do that... All else will follow, and Satan will be crushed underneath our feet. You're not asked to crush Satan by yourself. The Word will do that. Because the truth is this, none of us were innocent. We were all born in sin. We've all rebelled against God. We're guilty. But there was one who was innocent. He was blameless. He is righteous. He was wise as to what is good. He was innocent as to what is evil. And He was killed for you. It's only by being found in Christ, believing in His gospel and receiving His righteousness that we're able to live a life innocent and blameless before God. And so I wanted to end by reading the last three verses in the book of Romans. And this is what Paul says. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's called doxology. That's just pure giving God glory. And it tells me that, he, he says, the obedience of faith. Which tells me the only way to truly obey God, the only way to truly find strength in God, is according to His gospel and according to divine revelation. Parents, are you reading these scriptures to your children? Last night, I was, I'm not bragging on myself because I actually only did it halfway 
Kelly can tell you, every time I try to read the Jesus Storybook Bible, which, by the way, is so good. I just love it. Every time I try to read it, Roman tries to eat it. Sissy tries to steal it. and They fight. And, you know. if, you try to, if you try to just check it off the box, like, I've got to be a good dad and read the Bible, and then they end up, just, they end up leaving and you don't feel like you got anything done. But please develop that habit. Because even when you're not reading and they're not understanding what God's Word says, even if they're not old enough, even if they're not paying attention, even if they're not tired, these children are watching you and the commitment that you've made when you say, this is the rudder to our ship. They're watching mommy and daddy. Is the Bible something that you open up when daddy gets to church or is the Bible something daddy opens up every single night because he trusts it with his own soul? Being wise to what is good starts with being wise according to the good book. And we know that for those who place their faith in the gospel, for those who seek after, I was having a, I'll end with this, I was kind of having a bad week. My granddad died, I got back, felt like I you know, had a bunch of stuff done. And I read the, I, had, I mean, been reading the scriptures, I mean, I, I do every day or almost every day. And I sat down and read the Jesus Storybook Bible with uh, Roman. His sissy was just, I don't know where she was. But Roman, generally, you can sit down enough to read two good pages before he tries to eat it or something. And it was about when Abraham went up on the mount to sacrifice Isaiah or Isaac. And it just talked about believing. I don't know. Sally Lloyd-Jones has just a good way of basically being faithful to Scripture but talking as if she's talking to kids. And it was just, I tell you, I think I got more out of reading that little story with Roman than I had reading the Bible for the entire week with my son in my arms. And I'm just encouraging y'all, I think some of the, you know, when Kelly and I, I think I've said this before, when Kelly and I got married, we had this grand plan that we were going to wake up every single morning and drink coffee together and read like five chapters of Scripture every single morning. That didn't work. Kelly be like, what's ecclesiology? And I'll be like, she's like, where's that in the Bible? I'm like, hmm, good point. <laughs> and I remember it being a hard thing. I think even in seminary, I felt kind of like a hypocrite because I wouldn't read in the Bible with my wife. And it's amazing that now that we've had children... I've rediscovered the importance of reading the Bible however you can with your family or reading it at home. And so I wanted to end with, when I hear Paul say, be wise as to what is good and be innocent of evil, I believe that being wise as to what is good being, means starting with what he says in verse 17, which is you've got to commit yourself to right teaching. And if we want to do that as a church, we know that we have to go to divine revelation. We have to go to the gospel. We have to go to the source. Please, please, we are founded as a church on right teaching and sound doctrine. Please found your family on the same thing.
Because if it's not, you're making an idol of your family and not worshiping the one and true God. Let's pray. Father God, I, I know that our hearts are heavy this morning with our weeks and our commitments and We see so much in this world and we've exposed ourselves to so many things and when we go to work we hear people saying crude things and cursing and today we turn on the TV and our eyes witness atrocious things. It is so hard, Father, to be innocent of evil. And the only way that we can truly be innocent, the only thing that we can do is to take our minds captive to Christ. Father, we know that there is only one innocence to be had on this earth, and that's the kind that's purchased by the blood of Your Son, Jesus. Show us how great and marvelous it is to be found in the blood of the Lamb. Because only Jesus was innocent. Only He was good. And He gave Himself for us so that we could walk in the obedience of faith. And all these things we ask in Your Son's name. Amen. Amen.